All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I'm joined by none other than the host of the Locked On NFL podcast, Matt Williamson. We're going to talk about this Falcons Thursday night win over the New Orleans Saints in week 14. Matt, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, you have been holding it down on Locked On NFL uh, for well over a year now, and uh, I'm glad to finally have you on this show and we can talk some Falcons football. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a blast. Big win last night. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you were on the right side of history. I heard on Locked On NFL, you, you picked the Falcons to win this one, but you had a little bit more of a shootout. I'm curious sort of how this game lived up to your expectations or maybe didn't live up to your expectations. Yeah, I thought it was a fun game. That's for sure. Um, I got to say, I probably expected more out of both quarterbacks. And maybe a little less out of the Falcons' D. I mean, I thought the Falcons' D played quite well. Kamara injury obviously loomed there a little bit. You know, that I think that that threw the Saints off. I mean, they've been very dependent on him. And he's been a huge part of their their whole offensive scheming and creates massive problems. I think he's going to be Rookie of the Year. Um, But I thought Ingram and Thomas were both really good, particularly Thomas. I thought the Lattimore-Julio Jones battle was certainly a fun one. They also let the Saints, you know, endured a lot of injuries here. You know, Kamara, the biggest one, but defensive side of the ball. Kepsi and Latimer trying to get oxygen. You know, some long drives by Atlanta early in the game, I think, really took their toll. And in the end, I thought it was a pretty tired, banged-up Saints D. Yeah, so I'm curious, did you feel like this was a game where the Falcons won the game, or, or maybe you feel like the Saints lost this game? Um... I don't know. I, I mean, I think Atlanta won this game, but I, I also think it was the Saints' best showing. And I don't know that Atlanta fans should say, "Okay, I know they got the Saints coming up again." That oh, we got their number. You know, I, I didn't get that feeling at all. I mean, I felt like it was pretty two e- two pretty equal teams. Both quarterbacks threw a bad interception. Breeze's um, was more costly because of the timing of the of the game. You know, what 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 point it was in the game. And I think they interviewed probably Matt Ryan. I think that's who they interviewed after the game, basically saying, we looked at this game like whoever had the ball last was going to win. And um, that's kind of how I saw it, too, but with more points. And he was right. Now, you, you mentioned the Lattimore-Julio Jones matchup. This was a game that people had been circling uh, pretty far in advance, given how well Marshawn Lattimore has played this year. Uh, how did that matchup uh, live up to your expectations? Yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun, and he has been great. I mentioned that Kamara, I think, is going to be the offensive rookie of the year. I think the Saints are going to end up with a defensive rookie of the year, too, uh, in Lattimore. Um, I think he's a top 10 corner already. Played a lot of man coverage. You know, just watching on TV, you don't know for sure, but it didn't look like they mixed and matched much, very much. It was, hey, Marshawn, you got Julio. See what you can do. And I thought he held his own. Um his interception was an odd one. You know, Julio was obviously very upset about it, and I'm not sure why the ball was thrown. Um, and Julio got him, obviously, in a few times as well. But I thought that was a pretty equal fight. Of And it's going to be a, a blast to watch those two for the next eight years, hopefully. Yeah. Now, you mentioned some of the mistakes that the quarterbacks made, but I'm curious what were your thoughts of, uh, particularly with uh, Falcons head coach Dan Quinn, maybe some of the questionable decisions he made at the end of uh, both halves? Yeah, I bet he's under a little bit of scrutiny there too, and I could see why people would be discouraged, you know, or you know, be critical. I mean, I didn't think they were egregious errors. I mean, how about you? Uh, the the end of the first half, 
Yeah, I, you know, I, obviously it's a little personal to me. I thought they were pretty egregious, but obviously things tend to be a little bit more heightened. Uh, oh, with, I know with your the, team. I know the feeling. I do a lot of work for Steelers Nation Radio, and trust me, every little thing gets scrutinized so much, and it, it's so rare for me. I know I'm, I'm sorry for getting off topic, but um, yeah, I, I always had done local radio here in Pittsburgh, but majority of my career has been on a national level, like I am with Locked On NFL. That it amazes me how much people can talk about the Steelers every day, you know, and you're in the same case with Atlanta and the, the, the fine tooth comb that every move is scrutinized. I mean, uh, the bar gets set awful high, especially for organizations like Atlanta, like Pittsburgh that are been really good lately. You know I mean? If, if they don't win at all, then they're a bunch of bums. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I'm curious. What were your thoughts on sort of Dion Jones having a little bit of a coming out party? He, he certainly has played well, in his short NFL career, but this was really a, a big game for him going up against his hometown team um, in, in the New Orleans Saints and, and sort of getting a, yes. you know, not necessarily revenge, but certainly feeling a little bit, uh, you know, wanting to take his level up a level to showcase that uh, the, all the people back home who he knew would be watching. Yeah, it's funny because I didn't put that correlation together. LSU guy going home, um, he did have a huge game. I saw in Pro Football Focus that he graded extremely well. He obviously made the play of the game. And I noticed him before that, too. I could see why Pro Football Focus would grade him well. I thought he was all over the field. Um, to me, that's a defense plays in a dome based on speed. And he epitomizes that. You know, I mean, they really stress athleticism and speed on that team. And I do think he's coming into his own and really fits what they do extremely well. Um, I'm curious about the two running back duos because I think you can make a case that Falcons and Saints, depending on how you want to order them, are probably one and two in terms of uh, the Falcons duo of, of Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman and the Saints duo of Alvin Kamara and, and Mark Ingram. I, obviously, I know the Saints uh, were a little bit nicked up, so we didn't necessarily get their best uh, showing uh, last night. But uh, I'm curious sort of like where do you – if you had to rank – those two duos against one another, would you, who would you prefer at this point, Doug? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, they're, it's funny. Like, you go back to last year when Atlanta's offense was unbelievable, and um, you, you looked around the league, and it was pretty consensus. You know, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott are probably the three best players at the position. But I still think any team in the league would trade that guy, that one of those dudes, from what Atlanta had, you know, I mean, I, th I thought Atlanta had the best backfield situation in the league, you know, the, the complimentary players, but they have some similarities, um, exceptional receivers, very good receivers, maybe not exceptional receivers, but really good receivers. I thought Shanahan did a really good job of utilizing that and getting them in space, getting them matched up against linebackers. And I'm sure you've been down this road, but that's one thing I've been a little bit critical of Sark about that. I don't understand why he doesn't feature these two more as receivers. Meanwhile, the saints almost every year, they lead the league in running back receptions and new England's always in that conversation too, with a, you know, a deep backfield. Um, and Kamara fits that to a T. I mean, I really think he's going to be, if not the best receiving back in the league, one of, and he's very much on that path, and he's having a remarkable year um, and still developing in that area. Ingram was never really thought of as much as a receiver, but he's serviceable, and he keeps getting better. I mean, he realizes, I think, that if I'm not catching passes, I'm not going to see the field in this offense, 
So he's developing well, and I like the way he's running. Uh, I always thought that he kind of got a bad rap. You know, I mean, what they traded up for him, and he didn't burst on the scene and was a, fun, a dominant player, but he was never really featured. I think he's, his best football has been of late. I think I'd probably lean towards the Saints just a little, but boy, that's a coin flip. And I think I like Tevin Coleman more than most people do. Um, but when you look at the four of them, Kamara might be the most special. Now, those two guys were a little bit beat up. Even Tevin Coleman is now in the concussion protocol. The Saints were pretty beat up. You mentioned that earlier. Um, yeah, Ingram almost didn't play. I mean, you know, kind of just didn't think of that, you know? Yeah. But, and, and he had to obviously carry a huge load. Yeah, so I'm curious what sort of where you fall on the whole Thursday night thing where that's been something that people have talked about where the short turnaround. This has been some a topic of conversation for many, many years now, but it seems like now it's even a little bit more heightened just because a couple of weeks ago it became a big, bigger thing with the Seahawks. And, and, and certainly I'm sure the Saints are, are, are thinking the same thing this past week. Uh, where do you fall on that? Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I really do think it's rough on their bodies. I think the level of football overall is a little worse. I really feel for the home team, or the the away team. I mean, you really don't have much practice time to prepare. Um, one of my complaints is there's a lot of divisional games on Thursday. And I think you know, the last couple of years, it's almost been exclusively divisional games. And I think the NFL's logic behind that is, well, it's easier for the Falcons to prepare for the Saints because they know them. They play them twice a year. But my argument is those games are like double important. You know, I mean, I almost feel like they should play AFC versus NFC on, on Thursdays because, okay, we weren't at our best. It doesn't hurt you as bad. Um, I know this is a much longer conversation, but really what I think that the NFL should do is go to a set or uh, go to a 17 game schedule add another week, eliminate two preseason games, and so everyone gets two buys, and someone smarter than me could figure it out that still have Thursday night football but have a buy the week before for both teams. I, I don't think that would be that hard to pull off with two buys. Yeah, no, I've heard that from other people, and it, at least, you know, again, it's, it's probably above our pay grade, but it certainly makes sense to me if, if they decided to switch to that and – Maybe that would be something that is a, a major point of contention uh, when we get to the new collective bargaining agreement uh, among a, a whole litany of other issues that I'm sure <laughs> right. we'll be talking about in 2020. So, um, I'm, I'm curious, Matt, uh, this is my last question for you. Um, there's, I'm assuming that usually at this point in time of the year, you're, you're, you know, since you're sort of the national guy, you're talking more playoff race. But given all the sort of recent drama uh, in Cleveland and the Giants, um, you know, maybe there's a lot more going on in the NFL than you typically um, are expecting at this point in time. You know, let the li- listeners know what you got going on on Locked On NFL in the, in the, over the next couple of days. Yeah, and, and I just I actually just finished today's podcast. Like every Friday, uh, I made all my picks, and we do it with an, with the spread and and straight up. You know, as you know, we kind of have a relationship with my bookie, so I go there and uh, pick games with the spread and, and straight up, and people seem to really like that. Um, big conversation, but I used to work for the Browns. They just made a GM change and Ben McAdoo and I were GAs together at Pitt while you were at Pitt actually. And so I kind of feel for him, but I don't disagree with the decision. And so, I mean, I always rooted for Ben, but I think that is something that needed to happen. And I think the Browns move was kind of 
keyed by the Giants move that they didn't want. I think Dorsey was clearly the guy everybody wanted and they didn't want to see him go to New York. So they acted right now. And in a way, I think that's unfair to Sashi Brown because this is a really long conversation, but I really respected what the Browns did. I mean, to go all in on a total rebuild and start from nothing and build with a bazillion draft picks and so much draft capital that I obviously it needed more time. But I mean, to expect them to be competitive in year two is crazy. I know they haven't won a game, but there's things to get excited about there. And boy, I would love that GM job. I mean, you walk in with the probably the first pick in the draft, Houston's first rounder, which is early, and then both those picks as well in the second round, and an additional second rounder, Phillies, tons of cap space. You have some players in place. They have so many cards in their hands to get that thing turned around that uh, if they find a quarterback, I mean, look out. Um I had a question for you, actually, kind of a big picture one, too. Atlanta, biggest offseason need? Oh, I, I think it's D-tackle. D um, they have to figure out, you know, whether or not they're going to try to re-sign Don Terry Poe. If they mm-hmm. do, then I think that sort of mitigates that need. But I do think they'll be looking, they'll be in the market for a young sort of D-tackle that they can groom long-term. Uh, beside Grady Jarrett, because I, I don't necessarily know if they really see Poe as a as a long term sort of option, given his uh, you know his wanting to be paid one of the highest paid D tackles, and I don't know if the Falcons are willing to make that move. But for me, it's what like for me personally, and, and my listeners on the podcast know that uh, I've been I was a big I was not a big fan of the team's decision to let go of Patrick Demarco um, hmm. this past offseason. I thought they really lost. So a core part of their identity on on offense, losing him with some of the um, with his versatility and some of the like the motion stuff that they did under Kyle Shanahan, and I think they've lost that a little bit. So even though fullback is is probably one of those unsexy positions that you're not necessarily going to use a a high pick on or go out and, and drop a, a bajillion dollar contract on in free agency, you know certainly right after D tackle, like for me the biggest priority I would like to see this team upgrade is that fullback position you're in pretty good shape when fullback's your biggest need <laughs> and that and that was one of the reasons i asked because i was sitting there thinking like what are the Fal- what do the falcons need to do this offseason to get better and, and i think replacing or bringing in a eventual replacement from poe is really a great call by you and would you say in that mold though like you don't want another uh, Jarrett type. You want more of a space eater, nose tackle prototype, correct? Yeah, I think I think the, the ideal fit for the Falcons is someone who's sort of like halfway between those two guys, which is okay. big enough to sort of stuff the run, but also good enough to be an effective pass rusher, which is kind of what they wanted Poe to be more of this year, but also have that, that run-stopping ability to sort of keep those lighter uh, linebackers cleaner. So I think like the hap- like Id- ideal world, they want someone like a a Fletcher Cox type of guy who's you can stop the run or Indomitian Sue that can also can do both things. But obviously, you know, they don't grow on trees. Yeah. So (laughs) it's one of those things where like, I think probably given their run stopping issues, they probably will prioritize that a little bit more given that they also have a couple of capable pass rushers, particularly if they're able to resign Adrian Claiborne, his ability to kick inside on, on passing downs certainly uh, sort of offsets the need to have a high, high level interior pass rusher there the a year ago last offseason 
I thought their biggest need was guard, and I was shocked that they didn't address that more. Like I know, I mean, pass rush obviously adding Tack McKinley made a lot of sense too, but I still think they could use one more all-day starter type of guard, second-round guard. Yeah, I know that's a that's a popular. Um, Is it? Yes, and I, I think Wes Schweitzer has shown enough that I think you know him being a long-term sort of developmental guy. He's, he's going through some growing pains that you would expect out of a a first-year starter that's a six-round pick. But I think he's flashed enough potential, especially going up against some of the competition he's faced this year, which a, a lot of really high-level defensive tackles. I think he's held his own enough to, to think promising him. And just given sort of the continuity that the Falcons have been able to establish the last couple of years, I think Andy Levitri, I know he's beat up right now, and, and hopefully he'll he'll be back sooner rather than later. But I think he's played at a high enough level that he's, merited uh, a potential contract extension so the idea would be to sort of have him and mac sort of play together and, and then eventually retire together a couple of years down the road and then you know just sort of kick that uh, can a, a couple of years down the road to have to feel like they need to make a major upgrade on the interior offensive line yeah uh, that makes perfect sense all right any other any other thoughts you want to share matt to the listeners before we let you go no i think we're good this was a good chat all right. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on Twitter and in any other places where they can find you on the, online. Yeah, at Williamson NFL. Uh, check me out there, and I post everything there. That's the way to go. And check out the Locked On NFL podcast, too. We do it five days a week. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I ho- hope, you know, hopefully the Falcons will make the playoffs, and maybe we can uh, have you back on when playoffs start and talk at some NFC playoffs. Yeah, that win last night goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, I appreciate you. Have a good night, and uh, thank you again. All right. Take care. This was fun.